mind that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. Who am I? Welcome to Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. We're glad you could join us as we teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today's lesson is one in which we know you'll be enlightened to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to Pastor Greg as we launch today's lesson on Who Am I? Turn in your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 21. Now, last week we built, we've started what I called a three-part series uh, on Resurrection Sunday. Resurrection Sunday. I know many people call it Easter. I try not to say the word Easter. Uh, it's not like you're going to go to hell if you say the word Easter, but Easter is from the uh, uh, female fertility god Ishtar. Uh, and I do believe that in the New Testament, in the King James Version, it's wrongly translated Easter. It should still be Passover. Because as we talked about last week in our first part, this all is the Old Testament looking forward. The Old Testament saints look forward to Jesus coming and dying for the sins of the world. Well, what does that mean? Exodus 12, he was the Passover lamb. He was going to come and die for the sins of the world. And we covered all of that last week in Exodus 12. And we're going to see today that Jesus has fulfilled that. When he came in to Jerusalem and died on a cross and then rose again after three days. He has fulfilled the Passover, so he gave us the communion celebration for you and I to look back. The Old Testament saints look forward to what was going to happen. You and I look back. So in the same night, we'll see in the text that he uh, celebrated the final Passover. He also instituted the Lord's Supper, communion, co-union with him. So we're going to begin... It's uh, actually Matthew 21, but I wanted to really look at something because as you begin to look at Matthew 21, and it's also shared in other Gospels, it's in uh, Mark and Luke and John, all four of them cover what we call the triumphal entry. You might have grown up being called Palm Sunday. I believe it's the triumphal entry. So we're, we're talking about today is the day of triumphal entry. And you might say, well, Greg, it wasn't so triumphal. They killed him. Yes, but that is why he came, to lay down his life for the sins of the world. So triumphantly, he fulfilled what he was anointed to do. So in your life, has there been a triumphal entry of Christ? Are you looking to fulfill the will of the Father and all that he called you to do or did you just say a prayer and you're okay because now you're in like Flynn? See, these are very important mindsets that we have to get right in life. Not still living as if we're dead, but now we're in life back under the authority of the Father. And He's called us and saved us for a reason. And if we've allowed that triumphal entry into our life, 
we should begin to draw near. Remember last week we learned that Goshen means draw near. God separated them from the world so that they could draw near. He put them in a place where they could draw near. He gave them everything that they needed, and they grumbled and complained and would not even listen to those that he sent to them. And we can be just like that if we're not very careful in our Christian walks. Now, I want to just do a couple little things because I want you to see, number one, this is what I want you to see. The Passover festival, children of Israel led out of Egypt, a type of the world to us. They run by Pharaoh, a type of Satan to us. And then down the corridors of time, you have a parallel where Jesus not only is the Paschal, the Passover lamb, but he comes in on that very same day, the tent of Nisan. If you remember the festival, Exodus, tent of Nisan, it was a bib then, later on it changed to Nisan. We call it, I call it tent of Nisan. They were to choose a lamb. Then they were to watch it for four days to the 14th in the sun at twilight. Then they were to kill it, take a hyssop branch and wipe the, the blood on both of the doorposts and the lintel. Because in that night, God will deliver them and their tribes out of Egypt by that blood. Because the Passover lamb is coming, or excuse me, the, the death angel's coming. He's going to pass over any house that has the blood on the doorpost. And what's he doing? He's killing all the firstborn. Why is that significant? They would take their firstborn children and dedicate them to their false gods. So all the priests in the land of Egypt were going to be judged and killed. All the false priests. You and I, when we come to salvation, we believe in Jesus. The blood goes on the door, the mantle, the doorpost of our hearts symbolically we become believer priests we are now given life and that opens our eyes to begin to draw near to god as they would have supposed to be doing in goshen and then he can lead us out he took them out and he began to take egypt out of them everything that they thought they knew he began to take it out and then to teach them truth and they hardened their hearts and they wouldn't listen and they get to the place where they were supposed to cross over to jordan and it was actually when they finally did 14th and Nisan, when they finally crossed over the Jordan. I think it's in Numbers 33. On the 15th, they set up stones. Listen to me. Are you going to be ready? So when I started looking at this, and I, like I said, it becomes a, like, oh, my goodness, you got to hone this down, Lord, with your power of your Holy Spirit. Because if you actually look at Matthew 21... Triumphal entry would be the text. Palm Sunday would be what you have been told to call it, which, which isn't wrong, but it takes away from the triumph that Christ is coming in on the day that he was appointed to come in. And that's what I like to see. Palm Sunday makes it sound like something else, but what they would do, and we'll see in the text, is they would lay their clothes out and they would lay palm branches out and they would do that for royalty when they would come in. For so, they, they put them on, their, on their, uh, uh, their animals so they wouldn't have to sit on the animal, but they would be separated by something. And so they did this and they're doing that. But I, I wanted you to see that just before that, it's interesting that in uh, 2029, 2029, it says that now as they went out of Jericho, 
And Jericho means place of fragrance. It was a city that had a bunch of balm and balsam and honey and cypress and roses and all kinds of fragrant things. As they went out of Jericho, a great multitude followed him. So all these people are following Jesus. And behold, two blind men sitting by the road when they heard. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God that Jesus was passing by. They cried out saying, have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. That's a messianic term. So they believed they had heard and they believed that that Jesus was the Messiah and he was their only hope. And they knew their eyes were closed. They were blind physically. Then the multitude warned them. The multitude actually rebuked them, uh, admonished them to be quiet. But they cried out all the more. Listen, people are going to tell you to be quiet when you become a witness for Christ. But don't listen to them. Cry out all the more. But they cried out all the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. Again, messianic term. So Jesus stood still. He called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? Now think about that question for a moment, people, because when you're standing before God Almighty and your eyes are blind, and He says to you, What do you want me to do for you? I mean, you're thinking, Come on, God, you know everything. Come on, you're the Messiah. You know everything. Think about it really closely. Doesn't it sound like a weird question? But he always says that because he wants to have this conversation, this social intercourse where you're telling him what's going on. He already knows where Adam and Eve are hiding at, but he says, where are you? He wants them to respond. He wants them to be involved in the relationship and to understand their position, their place, and what's going on. Do you understand that you were once blind? Do you understand that the devil can still keep blindness on your eyes in certain places? Do you understand you need to keep coming to Jesus to get that removed? You say, well, I wasn't born blind. Yes, you were born dead. And you might have had physical eyes and you see everything that you want to chase that's in the garden and it's not of God. And you're dead and you're blind spiritually and you need to have your eyes open. So have you asked him to open your eyes to what's going on? They said to him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion, the bowels of mercy, and he touched their eyes And immediately, straight away, their eyes received sight, and they followed him. Now listen, when their eyes were open, they followed him. If your eyes are open, you're going to follow Jesus. You're going to find that all over in the Bible. Follow means be in the way with him. Follow means be in the way with him as a disciple, or a disciple means a learner. Now my eyes are open. Now I want to follow Jesus. I want to be led by the Spirit of God and understand what's going on in my life. I want to pick up the inheritance. I want to be sanctified and cleansed. Well, what happens first, Greg? Well, the very next text is where I want you to get is is in the triumphal entry. When he opens your eyes, he wants to make a triumphal entry into your heart, into your life as the authority of your life. And if you follow this, the next text is the triumphal entry. What comes after that, Greg? I'm glad you asked. Then he cleanses the temple. Because once God opens your eyes, he wants to come into your heart. And then what's he want to do? He wants to cleanse your temple. He wants to wash and cleanse you. 
Listen to me. And the very next text, what's that, Greg? Well, I'm glad you asked. He curses a fig tree because it didn't bear fruit. These are in line on purpose because of the Holy Spirit wanting to speak to us. So he wants you. He expects you to bear fruit. He expects you to be sanctified and cleansed, the temple being cleaned up, and then bear fruit. And if you don't bear fruit, he curses it. And I know that that's symbolic of him cursing the nation of Israel that did not bear fruit and they didn't understand the time of of his coming and and their calling and they rejected their Messiah and they're getting ready to receive the Antichrist. They're going to choose another. Well, what's the next text, Gress? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Then they question his authority. See, because salvation doesn't question the authority of God. Salvation doesn't question the power of God. Are you still questioning the authority of God in your life? Are you still fighting and wrestling with God? Or have you surrendered? Are you allowing Him to cleanse the temple, sanctify and cleanse you? Are you allowing Him to give you new life? Or did you just say a prayer and think that everything was okay? See, salvation, you're, you, you are saved, you're being saved, and you will be saved. It's still ongoing. It's not just one-time prayer. So as we see the blind eyes open, have you asked God that my eyes might be open? Or did you think that if I say a prayer, now I can go on and sin and do anything I want and live any way I want? I don't have to talk to God about this. I don't have to let him cleanse my temple. I don't have to let him come into my life. Now, wait a minute. I wanted a Savior. I want my life to be the way it was. I just want a Savior. I just don't want to go to hell. That's not God's plan. He bought you with the precious blood of Jesus. And now he wants to wash you and cleanse you. And he wants to put you out there as a trophy of grace so people will see how his children behave. And you can be a witness. You can be testimony of the grace of God. Are we going to do it perfectly? No, but we're being perfected. And there's supposed to be a heart toward sanctification, toward obedience, toward learning to pray, learning to bear fruit. And it looks like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If God has made a triumphal entry into your life, you're going to want to have your temple cleansed. And you know what? Sometimes it takes chastisement. You know what he did this time? This is the second time he cleansed the temple. He made a whip and he, and he turned over tables and he, and he, chastised them. He, he, he actually told them, drove them out. Listen, we're supposed to be following, but he drove those out who had turned his father's house into a den of thieves. He said, my house should be a house of prayer. Really? A house of prayer, dependency upon God, coming to God. The next text, you can pray anything you want. As long as it lines up with the desires of God, a life that's being cleansed and sanctified, and he will give it to you. The problem is we treat him like a genie. We treat him like a credit card. We treat him like, well, I said a prayer. I could ask anything I want, and I can get it now. No, only if you're letting him cleanse the temple, and it lines up with what he's already doing, because prayer is about aligning your heart with the heart of God to be like the Father and be like his house and to make it a house of prayer to all nations, not a den of thieves, not a den of merchandise, not a place where we go in and we exchange different ideas and different books and different CDs and all of these things that we do to merchandise Christianity. It's a house where we depend upon the Father. And the Father's first thing that He gave us was His only begotten Son. 
full of grace and truth. So has God made a triumphal entry into your life? Oh, wait a minute. Let's back up a step. Did you ask him to open your eyes? Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Do you really want to see what his will is? Do you really, really want to find out what the will of the Lord is? See, because that's what he tells us to do, that we should find out what the will of the Lord is. What is the will of the Lord? 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, your sanctification. Your cleansing, your washing. That's the will of the Lord. Now, we can't do anything but believe, but if we do believe and there's a triumphal entry and we've asked him to open our eyes and he's come in and we're giving him worship and glory and saying, save now, Lord Jesus, then we should be letting him cleanse the temple. Do you not know that you're the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? It's a temple not made with hands, eternal in the heavenly. This is, he made this. He spoke this into existence. And we're supposed to surrender to his working, not question his authority, which is what the chief priests and the elders did there in the, um, 2123. I don't have time to go into all of them, so you can read them later yourself. But what you will see as you see this, as you see him come in as a triumphal entry, it directly parallels perfectly the Feast of Passover. What do you mean, Greg? He comes in on the tent in this song, and then what were you supposed to do with the lamb in the Exodus? You, you're supposed to watch it and take care of it. Check the lamb for blemishes or spots. So what do they do? They begin to question. They begin to ask him. They begin to check him. What did they conclude, Greg? That he was not the Messiah, that we should kill him. That's why he died. They concluded he was not the Messiah, that he was not the Christ. He was not the Mashiach of God. He was not the anointed. He was not the one sent, the son of David, even though he said he was. And they said, kill him, crucify him. Not many days later. We're going to see that in a minute. You're, you're talking four days, not even a full week. Possibly the same people that said, save us now, being stirred up by the government, the authorities they said crucify him let's start let's read it's um matthew 21 verse 1 now when they drew near jerusalem and came to bethpage at the mount of olives then jesus sent two disciples saying to them go into the village opposite you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her loose them and bring them to me and if anyone says anything to you you shall say the lord has need of them and immediately he will send them all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet saying tell the daughter of zion behold your king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a donkey a colt the foal of a donkey so the disciples went and did as jesus commanded them they brought the donkey and the colt and laid their clothes on them and set him on them and a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road and others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out saying hosanna to the son of david blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord hosanna in the highest and when he had come into jerusalem all the city was moved saying who is this so the multitude said 
This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Let's pray. Father, we pray that we would not cover up Resurrection Sunday with our flesh, with a celebration of Ishtar, Easter. But we would know the origins, the foundation, the testimony of God delivering his people from Egypt the same way he delivers us from the bondage of sin by blood. Life is in the blood. So we pray that we would understand uh, New Testament theology by looking at the testimony of Old Testament. And that we would celebrate your death, burial, and resurrection accordingly every single day. Open the eyes of our heart. Make a triumphal entry. Cleanse our temples, Lord. Help us to pray. Teach us to come underneath your authority, under your name, your character, your nature, your will, your authority for such a time as this. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, when they drew near... Listen, remember what Goshen meant? Draw near. Goshen meant draw near. He separated them so they could draw near. Now when they drew near, so their eyes are opened, and now when they drew near Jerusalem, which in the Hebrew means teaching peace, I believe. It means set ye double peace in the Greek, but in the Hebrew it means teaching peace. When they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, house of unripe figs huh interesting fruit not ripe at the mount of olives then jesus sent two disciples listen i got to i got to stop because sometimes there's points that need to be made it's very important that we note that jesus always sent them out in twos i mean even in the marriage unit there's two there's a male and a female. It's not like there's just one. The two become one. He sent them out in twos to keep one another accountable, to, keep, to protect one another. He always sent them out in twos. But I see a lot of people that go out by themselves and they think they're okay and they think they're going to be okay. I think I would follow the pattern of what the Lord Jesus did when he sends people out. When you're out on your own by yourself, you're, uh, you're alone, you can be isolated and you're going to be decimated by the enemy. You need the company of the body of Christ at least one person to help counsel you. And so be very uh, aware of that. What did he say to him when he sent him out? Because he sends you out for a purpose. He sends you out for a reason. He tells us to go in Matthew 28, 18 and make disciples. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then do what, Greg? Teach them to obey all that I commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So he's always calling and sending. You come to him and he sends you to do his work if you're under his authority. And he tells them to go into the village opposite. I believe it's Beth, uh, Bethany. Uh, and immediately, straight away, King James, you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Now, now some of the other texts, they don't say that. They just say the colt. They don't mention the donkey. But it's, it's a virgin. It's never been ridden on. 
never been set on. It's, it, it, it's a foal. It's a colt. It's, it, you know, so you don't have to mention the other one. But the point was, it was him to ride into town on something that had never been ridden. It's new. It's fresh. He was born in a virgin womb. He's going to be buried in a virgin tomb. Never nobody in it. And he rides in on a beast of burden. He's coming back, though, on a white horse to conquer the enemies of the cross. So he tells them what they're going to find when they go. Isn't that interesting that God always tells us the end from the beginning? He doesn't just say go, but he always tells you what's going to be there when you get there. And then he even tells them, if somebody says anything, just say the Lord's had knees of it. So he already prepared completely everything that needed to be done because he's in the future. He knows what's there. He's outside of time. He's not asking you to go somewhere and you're going to go into brave new territory where nobody has ever been. He's asking you to go and do what he's already doing, whether you're there or not. He just wants you to be involved as a helpmate. You're the bride. Remember the marriage. You're the helpmate of the groom who's already here. His will is to save everyone who will listen, who will believe, who will turn and repent. And he's just asking you as the bride to submit your will and come and do his will. Just be the helpmate. It's all a type of what we already have going on in the physical. But what we do is get so caught up down here in the physical, we forget about the spiritual. And we forget that they actually are the same in the sense of what we're to do, how we're to come under. But listen, wives, your husband doesn't have the authority that Christ has. Your husband didn't die for your sins. So when you submit to husbands, you're submitting unto the Lord, not to your husband. And and I just say, get out of the way and let the Lord chastise him. Get out of the way and let the Lord deal with him. Because as long as you're dealing with him, the Lord can't get to him. He's still arguing with you in the flesh. Get out of the way and let the Lord get to him. Get out of the way and let the Lord get to her. See, we think we're going to go do something. And if it's not what God's already doing, it's not going to get done. But if it's what God's already doing and you get out of the way, it's going to get done and you're going to get credit for it. Although we know when we get there, we'll take the crowns off and go, now, holy, 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 wasn't me. Why are you talking about this, Greg? Because... Christ has made a triumphal entry on the 10th of Nisan. He's going to come into Israel, fulfilling this Passover festival. And if that's not enough right there, that's all it takes. You mean, you mean when Egypt and they delivered him out, it's the same dates, and he was always talking about the same event, and, and it's the same thing? Yes, isn't that enough to know that God knows everything, that he would come in on the exact day, the exact time, the exact point? And it's awful interesting. I Googled it, and I don't think it's, I don't think it's completely biblically correct, but, but physically correct today is the tent, right? This is the tent in the sun. Tonight at 6 begins the tent in the sun in Israel on their calendar. It's just interesting, just throwing it out there. I don't think if you go to their uh, uh, religious calendar, it'll be completely correct. I was trying to study it through, and there's so much confusion in the calendar because God doesn't want us to watch days and hours. He wants us to come under His authority. 
He doesn't want to set him watching and waiting and going, I think they're going to come now. He wants you to be about his business. If you're about his business, you don't have to worry when he comes. You'll be found doing what you're supposed to be doing, being faithful. That's all we're called to do is be faithful. But according to what I searched out, they started their calendar on the sixth day, not the first day, because man was created on the sixth day. That was really interesting. I'm like, what? So you get some of my stuff. Sometimes I just hold all that back and I don't give it to you. Um, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't really matter, but I think this is very important. That's why I say we cannot celebrate Easter. We have to celebrate Resurrection Sunday because bunny rabbits don't lay eggs. And that's how chaotic it is when you try to say that a man is a woman and a woman is a man. It's not true. But we see that the devil wants us to believe things that are totally ignorant, and then they want to convince us, and we have to say yes, or they're going to kill us. That's why it's called death culture. They're doing the same thing with God. They're killing God. They're not really killing you. They're crucifying Christ all over again. So on the 10th of the Psalm, we're reading Matthew 21. And he tells them to go, and they're going to find this donkey and the colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. I see it as a picture of twos. I see it as a picture of discipleship because that uh, colt is going to listen better when mommy's there and not fight. So I just see it as uh, the old and the young working together. And if anyone says anything to you, you will say, the Lord has need of them. And again, there's that word immediately. Straight away, he will send them. My God will provide for all of your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. If you are doing what he has sent you to do, he's already there and he will provide and they will send them. All this was done, we have commentary from the Holy Spirit written by Matthew, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken, it's been spoken, by the prophet. Why would he speak it? Because he heard it from God, and that's what you do. You hear from God, and you go tell others. That's foretelling what God is already going to do. It was already spoken by the prophet, saying, it's in Zechariah 9, Tell the daughter of Zion, the, 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 the city of David. Zion is the city of David. Uh, it's, it's the descendants, the daughter. Behold, your king is coming to you. Lowly and sitting on a donkey, meek, King James, humble. This is the way, this is not the way a king would enter a city on a donkey. A colt, the foal, the foal of a donkey. I'm not going to go there. You can go read later, Zechariah 9. Um, it's interesting, though, that Zechariah means what? God remembers. See, he had the prophet, God remembers, write this down in Zechariah 9. Zechariah means God remembers. So what do you think they should do? Verse 6, man should do. Six is the number of man. So the disciples, the learners, those that were following him, went and did as Jesus commanded them. Notice sometimes we think, well, God just says, those are just holy suggestions. 
God's word is God's word. It's God's authority. He's God. If he's God of all, or he's not God at all. So when he says something, even though he does, you know, you ever do that with your kids? Hey, would you get me the, and they go, no. Well, you was telling them, but you were being nice. You ever do that? See, I mean, and, and so we don't often think of what God says as a command, but it's really a command for you, for your soul, for what you need to be doing. It's not changing God at all. Whatever God says is something that's going to help you so that you don't sin against your own soul so that it doesn't harm you. So he says, or he tells us that they went and did just as Jesus, they went and did as Jesus commanded them. And I would, I would encourage you that when we know the will of God, this is how we should react. I mean, we might have to cry out, open my eyes. We might have to cry out, Holy Spirit, give me strength. We might have to cry out, I need you, Lord. I can't go and do that without you because I'm afraid of man. Take away my fear. Take away my apprehension. Take away my belief, but help my unbelief. But we need to go and do what God has called us to do because He is there. He's waiting on us in relationship. We're the bride who's supposed to be helping Him tell the world about salvation. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. Interesting picture, uh, isn't it? They they didn't just listen. He didn't climb up there. They picked him up and set him on there. Listen, they set him on there. They enthroned him as the as the anointed. They are choosing him right now. While all the priests in in the temple and and the people are are gathering in the temple and they're coming from miles around to bring all the adult males. They're bringing their Passover lamb. They're being ripped off when they get to the temple changers and they're going. Oh, I am so sorry that you came two hundred miles to sacrifice this beast because it is not worthy to be sacrificed as a Passover lamb. However, over here behind door number one, for three hundred dollars, we will sell you one that is worthy and they were ripping the people off with some with some magic tricks and the temple currency and they had made up all their rules so while they were picking them over here these people that knew that jesus was the messiah were choosing him on the tent in the sun. see the priests are getting ready to sacrifice thousands and thousands and the blood was going to run down Animals that was always supposed to be a type of Jesus coming. They covered, their blood covered sin. Jesus takes away the sins of the world. Takes the penalty, takes the power. And now he wants to sanctify and cleanse your temple to take the practice away of sin. So that he can remove you one day. You'll bear fruit and it will remain and he'll take us from the presence of sin. While he pours out his wrath upon those who reject him. So they laid their own clothes. Do you see that? Do you see the picture that that would give that? I'm taking off my clothes. I'm enthroning him in my life. And then I'm going to be clothed with him and his righteousness. See the picture that's there? This is this is not happen chance. This is... This is uh, uh, never mind. It's deep. Others cut down branches, probably those that, oh, verse 8. 
and a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. I thought it was interesting when I looked up branches. It's a twig or a bough as if broken off. Bible students, as if broken off. Romans 11, Bible students. Broken off for grafting. See, we were grafted in, the Gentiles, as a wild olive branch. And then God has got a future work He's going to finish doing with Israel. And even one of Jesus' messianic names is Branch. So it's so amazing to, to look at the typology that's in this. I know, I thus complicate it and I shouldn't. And this is the type of behavior you would see for a king. So we know that they are clearly choosing, clearly choosing him as the Messiah, the king. Then the multitudes went before, and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now listen to me, because we lose in translation what this means. So let's actually, this is quoting uh, Psalms 118. So let's just go to Psalms 118. Later, in the, when they institute the communion and they're doing the supper, they actually sing Psalm 118. It's one of the, songs that the psalms that they sing is Psalms 118. So you might want to read it all later when you get a chance. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, read it all later because I can't read it or we'd be here forever. Uh, let's do 24. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now. This is Hosanna, triumphal entry. Save now is what Hosanna means. Hosanna means, oh, save, or it's an exclamation of adoration. It means save now, I pray, oh, Lord. Oh, Lord, I pray, send prosperity Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. God is the Lord. He has given us light. And then we're going to bind the sacrifices of the cords to the horns of the altar. You can read it later for yourself. It starts with mercy. Verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. This is one of those where they say, and his mercy endures forever. So what they're saying, they choose him as king. They enthrone him as king. They set him on the colt as king. They're accepting him as the Messiah. And then they say, save now, save now. In one text, they even the, the Pharisees say, silence them. Don't you hear what they're saying? Because they don't agree with it. They've already decided that he must die. They're going to kill him. They've got to figure out to do it. But remember, you can read it in 26, I think, uh, verse 5. They didn't want to do it on the Passover. But he was the Passover lamb, so it had to happen that way. They said, don't do it now. We don't want to do it while everybody's here. Because millions of people would come from all around to celebrate the Passover. 
We don't want to kill him. We don't want that big ruckus. If Rome finds out, we could be in big trouble. Don't kill the Messiah. We want to be clean. We want to celebrate the Passover. We want to be able to go into the temple with murder in their hearts. They said, don't do it now. So as they say, save now, save now. They're choosing on the tent of Nisan, their lamb. They're choosing Jesus of Nazareth. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved. Think about it, there's a big ruckus. If you're leading somebody in and yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna, and some people are arguing with you, and you're going, he is the Christ. And the Pharisees are trying to silence you, and you've got all these people going, what is going on? And the people are moved, and they're saying, who is this? How do you answer that question? Who is this? Who is the son of David? The answer the multitudes that were following gave was, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Yet more than a prophet. And then if you followed it, as I said, he cleanses the temple. Overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And then he told them by what authority he did it on, even though they didn't grasp it. He said, it is written. My house should be a house of prayers. It is written, you have made it a den of thieves. See, the authority is Scripture. The authority is God's Word. The authority is always, did God say? In your life, in my life, in His life, He's given us example of where to get His instructions from. Even how to cleanse your temple is by the Word of God. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God might be thoroughly equipped, complete, ready for every good work. If you want to be ready to do the will of God and to bear fruit, you must let His Word cleanse your temple. And if you do not bear fruit, what does He say there? Oh, my goodness. He goes from cleansing the temple. Oh, yeah, they did, then they start yelling Hosanna again. Verse 15, 21, 15. I mean, the chief priests and the scribes, they saw the wonderful things that he was doing. But notice, nobody said a word to him about turning stuff upside downward. Then they walked away. Then later they're going to go, Who, where'd you get your authority at? What from Scripture? But what he actually says to them, I'll tell you where I got my authority, by what authority I do this, if you tell me. Was John's baptism from man or from heaven? And what did they do? Verse 21, 25b. What did they do? Think about it. If you're following God and you get a question like that, was John really from God? Was John from man? Was he real? Should we listen to him? Did the Messiah come after him? 
Think about it. Where, who would you ask that question? You don't ask your pastor. You better ask God because you're going to stand before God one day and you need to know what his voice said, what his word said. If you rely only on your pastor, your pastor could be a liar. He could be from the spirit of Antichrist. You need to have a personal relationship and you need to say, Lord, where was John's? And then be right with God and say, okay, you're right. It was from heaven. What did they do? They reasoned among themselves. What do you think, Bob? Should we listen to pastor? Should we listen to what he's doing? You really going to listen to man about your salvation? Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Men have gifts. Men have things that they're helping you. They're stirring one another on. We're working this out together. We're doing this together. But if you rely only on men and you don't rely upon the God who speaks from heaven, you're in trouble at the heart of your walk. You don't have no idea where you're going. You don't have no idea whether you're being washed and cleansed. It has to come from what God has already said, his unchanging character, his unchanging authority, his unchanging word. It has to come from a relationship with that word, not with man. God first, then man. Be right with God, and if you can be right with man as far as you are able, be at peace with him. But if not, he came to divide he came to bring a sword. He didn't come to make you be at peace with all men. He wants you to be at peace with him. He came in on the 10th in the sun and died on the 14th in the sun and rose on the 17th in the sun so you can be at peace with him and not go to hell. And we sat around trying to be at peace with men when he told us he came to bring a sword. Listen, this is going to be real big here in a few. It's going to be real big in not too many days. Who are you going to listen to? Are you going to, who are you going to satisfy, God or your physical appetite? You might not have food to eat, and you're going to have to make a decision. What am I going to do to get food to eat for my family? Very important. This is very important right now to make the decision today. Don't reason with other people, other men, because they're going to give you false lying counsel. Find somebody that knows the Word of God and say, I want to hear the truth of God. I want to make the right decision with God. I want to follow God. I want to hear the voice of God. I want Him to open my eyes. I want Him to make a triumphal entry. I want Him to cleanse the temple. I don't want to go on in death culture. Because if you're reasoning with men, it's earthly, sensual, demonic wisdom. It's not godly wisdom that come from above. Follow it. Read it. The next parable that he gives is about two sons. One that he says to do something, and he says no, and he doesn't. And then the next one, he says, I'll do it, and he doesn't. And the one who said they wasn't going to do it went and did it. And he says, which one did the will of the, of the, of the father? The one that did it. Today is the day to become a doer and not a hearer only deceiving yourself so many people say oh i'll do your will god i believe you god i want to follow you god i trust in your son god and then they go out and do nothing got a whole lot of confessions but where's those who are professing where's those who are witnessing where's those that are doing the will of god 
he's dealing with Israel still because they would not do the will, that they harden their hearts. He's still dealing with them. He's got a future work to deal with them. And then we move on to, where is it, 26? Matthew 26. Let's move on. Let's keep moving. So he goes through a whole week of questioning where they decide he has to die. They examine him. They look for spot. They look for blemish. They accuse him even of being born of adultery. When we know that it was a virgin birth, that the Holy Spirit overshadowed him. But they accuse him of being born out of wedlock during the betrothal period of Mary to Joseph. Something that Mary lived with her entire life. The reproach of men, even though she knew the truth of God. And they're questioning him, and they're questioning him. And 26, you can see that they did not want, 26, 1 through 5. Now it came to pass. Don't you love that, that everything's going to come to pass? If God said it, it's coming to pass. I'm just telling you right now. And if, if you were worried about it last year and it's gone, it's because it come to pass. But don't you, everything God tells you, don't you want to know it now? He's telling us the future before it happens. It's going to come to pass. You can get prepared for it. You can get ready for it. You don't have to. It doesn't have to come as a thief in the night. It doesn't have to be a surprise. Spend time with him. When Jesus had finished all these sayings that he said to his disciples, those that were wanting to learn, that's what a disciple is. You know that after two days is the Passover, so we're two days before the Passover, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Then the chief priest, the scribes, and the elders of the people assembled at the, at the palace of the high priest, who was called Caiaphas, and plotted to take Jesus by trickery and to kill him. Now, Annas is really um, the high priest. Caiaphas is the son-in-law of Annas. But Rome pulled Annas out of the high priest position and put Caiaphas in because they didn't like him. And uh, they say that Caiaphas was one of the longest standing ones because he evidently cooperated with the government. He cooperated with Rome. He cooperated and wanted to make money. He was more of a mafia boss than anything. And they plotted to take Jesus by stealth or by trickery or by craft, by their witchcraft, and to kill him. Death culture. Uh, but they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. See, because the people think he is the Messiah. They've chosen him to be Messiah. They've chosen him as the anointed of God. Same reason they wouldn't answer the question about John the Baptist. They were afraid the people would, would have a riot. See, the people believed God. The people were listening. The people, but the ruling authorities were the ones that were causing the trouble. So if you listen to them and you listen to their reasoning, you find yourself in trouble. But if you listen for God's voice, he'll lead you out. And then further in the 26, we're going to see that it's 26. Let's go to 26, 20. Now I'm leaving you got to go read it yourself and fill in the blanks. But this is the week of the Passover. It's the week of unleavened bread. They would, for seven days, remember Exodus? We talked about it. First day of Holy Convocation, last day of Holy Convocation. On the first day, they began to take the leaven out. They're removing the influence of evil. So we're celebrating the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and it's culminated with a Passover. We're going to see that. Now here, they're going to do the, the, the final Passover is what it was. 
You know, one text says, when supper being ended, then he institutes communion. We're going to see in this last night of his life, because remember, he leaves this room. Well, let's just read. 26.20 tells us, when evening had come, he sat down with the twelve. Now, as they were eating, he said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Now, listen, they're eating the final Passover meal. And they were exceedingly sorrowful. And each one of them began to say to him, Lord, is it I? And he answered and said, He who dips his hand with me in the dish will betray me. Of course, fulfilling Psalms 41, my own familiar friend has lifted his hand against me. The Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for him if he would not have been born. Son of Man, of course, being messianic. Then Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Teacher, Rabbi, is it I? He said to him, You have said it. You know, interestingly, then he, in John's text, John 13, he says, uh, uh, and he says, what you do, do quickly. And he gets up and he goes out and it was dark, is what the text says. Dark for the rest of his life because he's going to go and kill himself instead of repenting. He's going to hang himself uh, in the field called Akildama, field of blood. He takes the money, his 30 pieces of silver, and he throws it back at them. And they said, what do we have with you? We don't want the blood money. They know it's blood money. They know they're murdering an innocent man. So he goes out. And then after he went out, supper being ended, verse 26, and they were eating, supper being ended, ended uh, Jesus took bread. He blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, and he said, take, eat, this is my body. Here's symbolically my body, this bread. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom and when they had sung a hymn they went out from the mount of olives and that's when they sing traditionally they sing psalms 115 through 118 is what uh i've been told i wasn't there i can give testimony of what i seen again um he institutes communion why because he's going to go out of this upper room and go through Jerusalem, down through lower Jerusalem, out the city gates, across the brook John. He's going to go up into the Garden of Gethsemane, where they're going to meet a detachment of troops, which are led by Judas. And they're going to arrest him, beat him, mock him, spit on him. Well, let's go look at it. John uh, 18 He knew what was going to happen, and he's giving thanks. He's blessing. He's breaking. He's fulfilling. He's finishing the will of the Father. Yet today we teach that nothing is going to happen to you if you're in the will of God. That's not a life of faith. 
That's not the model that's set before us. Through many trials, through much suffering, shall you enter the kingdom of God. But we have this hope. We have this peace. We have this rest. We know that God is in control and that if they destroy the body, we'll go to be with the Lord. Okay. I'm looking at my time. Let's start in 28, 1828. 1813 tells us they took him to Annas first and then to Caiaphas. They had these trials. They broke every law you can think of. They had a trial at night. They're never supposed to have a trial at night. They had a trial that started in one day and it ended in the same day. They were never supposed to. All of these are laws. They were never supposed to make him testify against himself, self-incrimination. They said, tell us, are you the Christ? And they made him and self-incriminate him. They broke everything you can break to get to their ends and their means, just like you see happening on the world stage today because it's of the devil. They break everything that they can break, not just, not because I'm not talking about the Constitution. I'm talking about breaking every common sense thing that we know, like male and female. Or uh, Do you know what a woman is? Can you give me a definition of woman? Uh, no. I mean, this is nonsensical in life. In life, I'm just telling you that we break everything in order to get our means. And then we don't even understand that we're underneath the sway of the devil. And you know what? We do it in our own life in smaller forms. We know where we're going. We know when we get in the car. We know where we're going when we pick up the phone, when we turn on the TV, when we go down the road, when we commit sin and we rebel against our authority. We know where we're going. We know the will of God. We do the same thing and we go, no, like little children. So we can see it on a huge nation, but what about in our own lives? It's really easy to see. Listen to me. Listen to me. When a child runs through the church and he's being disobedient and us real smart adults, we can go, that's disobedience there. If I was my kid, I'd pick him up and spank his butt. But what about when you're doing what you're doing as an adult that knows you have the Holy Spirit and you're living for God and you've been called out of darkness and you still choose to do what you want? Who's going to pick you up and spank your butt? We need to wake up. It's real easy to pick on children. It's real easy to look at, at, at a new Christian. It's real easy to say things about somebody else. But how are you living your life? Because that's who he's going to ask you about when you get to the throne. That's what this is about. Your personal relationship as a bride who's supposed to be a helpmate submitting to the groom, the Son of God. And he give you everything to do it. Life. The Holy Spirit, the Word of God, the instruction manual. But He allows you to make that choice daily. But He'll wash and cleanse you if you let Him. Where did I say we were starting? Let's negate that because now we got less time. 28. Then they led Jesus from 
Caiaphas to the praetorium, and it was early morning, but they themselves did not go into the praetorium lest they be defiled. You see that? They're getting ready to kill a man, and they're worried about getting dirty. They're worried about being religiously defiled and not being able to celebrate the Passover that remembers when God delivered them, and they're actually shoving their head in death. We're the same way, I'm just telling you, that's mankind's nature. If you're not surrendering to the work of the Holy Spirit, we're shoving our head in death, and we're like, they really shouldn't say that. I'm afraid to, uh, no, I'm not going to do that because I might. Listen, it's, it's nonsensical. It really is. It's not, even, it's not even close to making sense. We don't want to get defiled. We don't want to do it with the people watching. God's watching. Twenty nine. Pilate then went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? Because they brought him to Pilate now, and the Pilate takes him to Herod, and Herod brings him back to Pilate, and we, we go through this. He's saying, what's the accusation? They answered and said to him, if he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him up to you. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. There was a question there. Just believe us. Just believe us there's something wrong with him. If he were not an evildoer, we wouldn't have brought him here, Pilate. No charge. They don't have any charges. Just an evildoer. Then Pilate said to them, you take him and judge him according to your law. Look at this. You see, God doesn't need to be the one speaking to examine your heart or my heart or their heart. It's how you're answering. It's how you're responding. It's how the fruit of your life is going. See, he's using an earthly ruler to ask them questions. They know the answers, but they're resisting the truth so that they can accomplish their lie. What's in their heart? The same thing that's in the devil's heart, murder. Murder. Take him and do it by your law. Uh, Negative there, Pilate, because we want to kill him, and you guys told us we can't kill nobody. See, Rome Rome had taken from them the death penalty. They were not allowed, not allowed to kill anybody. They would get in serious trouble if they used the death penalty. They had to be tried by Rome in order to be killed. Therefore, the Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. See their heart? Heart exposed. Oh, so you didn't want me to really try him, Pilate might say. You didn't really want us to find out if he was guilty. You're telling us, here he is, kill the man. Do you understand? They already concluded, I'm killing. Listen, we do that in our own life. I'm killing God's word. I don't care if God's word says thou shall not. I'm killing that now because I've chosen in my appetite, Eve might say, that I'm going to do this regardless of what God says, and I'm going to live this way. And I think it's okay because I already said a prayer. Listen, you cannot kill God's word just because right now it's convenient. You cannot stop doing what God has called you to do, to be washed and cleansed and become like him as his child just because it's convenient. The word of God is interrupting my life. No, God is trying to open your eyes 
and cleanse your temple. And you harden your heart, and it ends up like in the day of rebellion. Death culture is what they want. So when you see nonsense going on, you go, wow, my eyes are open, and I can really see that that's pretty crazy. That stuff doesn't make any sense. Guess what? Death is behind it. The devil's behind it. Diablos is behind it. Somebody is afoot with their craft. You don't have to buy into it if you're going to follow the wisdom of God. And in fact, if you can't even put your finger on it, like, oh, wait a minute, hey, page two, page, just don't even go there. Because God is light. He exposes darkness. You can walk in the light and have fellowship with Him. You don't have to know exactly why you don't want to take the shot. You don't have to know exactly why you don't want to listen to the government. You don't have to know exactly why you don't want to enter into that arrangement or agreement or covenant. You just know something ain't right. You got a little bit of discernment. You're making a judgment call because something ain't right in your spirit. And listen to me, I'm just telling you, if it's the will of God, it'll be back. If God's really wanting you to do it, he's going he's to untie a dog. He's going to lead you right to it. It's going to be easy. Has God made a triumphal entry into your life? Are you letting him cleanse your temple? Or are you letting some other reasoning, some other voice, some other priest, some other person make you twice the sons of hell than you ever were? Listen, it's important to know that you're following the right Jesus. I, was, I got up the other morning. I don't know if it fits, but we'll try it. I got up the other morning. I let my dog outside. It's like 6 o'clock in the morning. It's still dark out. I'm like... I, you know, she does this to me. I get up and I'm praying and she's like, you know, she comes in there. You know, we're going to, if somebody ever breaks in my house, I'm going to die probably because she won't bark at a person, but she'll bark at every bird that lands in the yard. Or if a worm moves out there, she's barking at it. I let her outside. And so I'm like, I got to go get ready for work. So I, I try to get her back in so my wife don't have to deal with it. So I go to the door and I go, Zoe. And I go, get in here, because I see the dog right there. But as it gets closer and closer, I'm like, that dog's bigger than my dog. I slam the door. It's a pit bull with a head on it the size of a basketball, a black pit bull in my yard. And I'm like freaking out going, oh, my goodness. I go, where is I saw, honey, hey, honey. So I wake up my wife. She's the helpmate. I'm going to send her out after the dog. No, I'm just teasing. I'm thinking all the way down the hall, you know what, the neighbors down the road about a mile away, they got a quarter mile away, maybe a half mile. They've got a black pit bull. That's probably what that dog is. I go, oh, my goodness, is it dangerous? Should I go out there and get Zoe? I better get Zoe. Zoe's going to get beat up by this dog. So I go back out. Here's Zoe running around playing with this dog out there. They're out there playing. But listen to me. Who have you led into your house, in your spiritual house? Is it something that looks like Jesus or is it really Jesus? Well, how do I know, Greg? I get into the word prayer and fellowship. I begin to learn to articulate. I don't want to open the door to just any dog running in. I could get hurt. I don't want to open the door of my heart and say, open my eyes, and it's the wrong Jesus. It's the wrong triumphal entry. It's a different type of cleansing. It's some type of religion or a form of godliness that denies the power thereof. I want to know who I'm letting in the door of my house, my spiritual house. Because if he starts turning over tables, 
and it's the real Jesus, they need to be overturned. If he starts driving stuff out of your life and cutting off branches, it needs to be done. But if it's the wrong one, you don't want to give him the authority to do home makeover in your house. Which one are you following? Is he trying to kill you? Oh, here's a good one. Is he trying to unite you with all the voices out there of the world? Is he wanting you to go along with all the other plans in a convergence so there can be one world government, one world economy, one world religion? Or is he dividing you from other things and putting you in Goshen so you can draw near to God? Listen to me. It's very important that you make a decision. Nobody else can make it for you. Grow up. Put your big boy pants on. Verse 32. Finished commentary that the saying that Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spoke, signifying by what death he might die. Remember, he told the boys, they're going to betray me. Turn me over. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to die. Why? Because he already knew what was going to happen. He didn't make it up like, hey, I think they're going to arrest me. I think they're coming. Wasn't rumor. Then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus, and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself about this, or did others tell you concerning me? Listen to me. Make your decision. Jesus is examining his heart. What do you think? What are you saying? Who am I? Notice you're going to see this secular guy make the wrong decision, but boy, his heart is afraid. He knows he's making the wrong decision, but he's appeasing people. He don't want to lose his position, his power, his pomp. Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priest have delivered you to me. What have you done? See, he's still saying he's innocent. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from here. Be careful what fights you're caught up in. Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king then? Let's narrow it down. Let's reason in your heart. Jesus answered, you say rightly that I am a king for this cause I was born virgin birth and for this cause i have come into the world that i should bear witness to the truth everyone who is of the truth hears my voice listen that's what we're doing bearing witness of the truth we're light bearers that's what aaron actually meant moses means one drawn out aaron meant light bearer that's what you and i become are you hearing his voice if you're his child you'll hear his voice because everyone who is of the truth hears my voice Pilate said to him what is truth it's a person it's Jesus the Christ truth is a person he said I am the way the truth and the life I give him full authority in my life because I know he is true and when he had said this he went out again to the Jews and said to them I find no fault at all he's innocent but you have a custom that I should release someone to you at the Passover. Notice it says Passover. King James says Easter. Do you therefore want me to release to you the king of the Jews? 
Then they all cried again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. If you wish to read in Mark, it would say that he was an insurrectionist. He was a murderer. He was a robber. He was us. Bar means son of the father, Barabbas. The people stirred up, listening to the reasoning of the ruling authorities. They could have had Jesus released who's innocent. Even the secular government said he's innocent, but they said, no, give us Barabbas. Now, if you went into another text, which we, in John, it's like, crucify him. What do I do with it, Jesus? Crucify him. Crucify him. Why? Because he didn't do what I wanted him to do. Potentially, some of the same people who said, Hosanna. Now, I can't prove that, but potentially. Barabbas, son of the father. They have two sons of the father standing there. Picture of Israel choosing Barabbas. A picture of Israel again choosing the Antichrist instead of the Christ. The son of the father of all lies they choose. A murderer. Listen, they knew for sure the testimony and the evidence against Barabbas. But they had nothing that they could accuse Jesus of. Just their own plans, their own power, their own pomp, and they stir up the crowd. So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him, beating. What happened when they did that? The soldiers twisted a crown, 12-inch thorns, and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe, royalty. Then they said, Hail, King of the Jews. They mocked him. They struck him with their hands. Clean-up statement. They would blindfold him and punch him in the face and then show him their knuckles and say, which of, you hit, which of us hit him? And try to make him prophesy which one hit him. Think about that. If you're God in the flesh and you're allowing your creation to do that to you. Pilate then went out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no fault in him. He's innocent again. Pilate parades him out. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns. That's our curse thorns the purple robe our pomp and Pilate said to them behold the man beaten bloody therefore when the chief priests and the officers saw him they cried out saying crucify him crucify him notice where it started at Pilate said to them you take him and crucify him for I find no fault in him innocent again he declares then the jews answered him we have a law and according to our law he ought to die because he made himself the son of god therefore when pilate heard that saying he was the more afraid and he went again into the praetorium and he said to jesus where are you from but jesus gave him no answer Led like a lamb, he was silent before the shears. Pilate said to him, Are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? Jesus' answer, listen, wisdom from above. You could not have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. Listen, this word power that we keep reading, same word from Matthew 28, 18. All power has been given to me on heaven and earth. All authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Teach them to obey all that I commanded you. Same word. This power all comes from heaven. When Jesus raises, he's the one that's going to say that in Matthew 28. 
From then on, look what Pilate, from then on, Pilate sought to release him. He's innocent. He's innocent. How can I release him? How can I release him? But the Jews cried out saying, if you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. Uh-oh, we're going to tell Caesar and you will lose your power anyway. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat in the place that is called the pavement, but in Hebrew is Gabbatha. Now it was the preparation day of the Passover and about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, behold, your king. But they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. What do you say? Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, here's their heart. This might be your heart. You need to check your heart. Find out what's in your heart. We have no king but Caesar. Listen, this is the government. This is the secular government that's telling you on TV, on radio, everywhere you look about what's going on in the world. They're trying to bring in the fourth industrial revolution. They're trying to say that, that, that we have to be mad at Russian people. I had a customer. I go, wait a minute. I, it's just no different than China. I don't like the China leadership, but the people are just following the leader. I don't, I don't like Putin, never have. But why would we be mad at the Russian people? Why would we be punishing them? Why would we make them starve to death? Why would we have Russian people in our country right now that are afraid to go to work because they're afraid that we're making them abhorrent? Listen to me. We've got to be careful what you listen to the government telling you to do. And it's going to get worse and worse and worse. That's what all of this fear-mongering is about, is to tighten down the government power over your life so that you'll say something silly like, we have no king but Caesar. Really? I thought Jesus was your king. I thought the Israelite, the Israelite nation was looking for their Messiah. And somebody twists them all around in a circle where they're so confused they don't even know what to do. And we know who the author of confusion is. And they begin to chant the same thing. We have mob mentality. Then they delivered him to be crucified. Then they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went out to the place called the place of skull, which is in Hebrew called Golgotha. When they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side and Jesus in the center. Now Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. And the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. And that really infuriated him. Then many of the Jews read this title for, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. It was written in Hebrew, Greek, Greek and Latin. Therefore, the chief priests and the Jews said to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. I'm just going to read the rest of this chapter to you. Then the soldiers went, when they had crucified Jesus, took garments and made four parts. That means there's probably four. They get all the possessions of those that are dying to each soldier, a part and also a, the tunic. Now the tunic was without seam woven from the top in one piece. They said, therefore among themselves, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it. Whose it shall be that the scripture might be fulfilled, which says they divided my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots Psalms 22. Therefore, the soldiers did these things. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. I think four women, three Marys. When I think the other one was Salome. 
when Jesus therefore saw his mother and his disciples whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, your son. Then he said to the disciples, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her to his own home. And I, I believe that's John who writes the book of John here and uh, Revelation and the three baby Johns after. Um, after this, I should say, rather, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. You know that at least 28 prophecies were fulfilled while he hung on the cross. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled the sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop. Remember the hyssop that you put blood on your doorpost with? And put it to his mouth. It was just a type of a plant that they would sprinkle, do ceremonial and religious things with. So when Jesus had received, I believe there's more to it. I just didn't study it for you. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Listen to me. He said, it is finished, paid in full. It's finished right there on the cross. All the redemption of mankind. We're going to see resurrection Sunday next week, but resurrection is evidence that what he just said was true. It was the death that saves you. Resurrection is the evidence. That's why you can't have a bunny that lays eggs representing Resurrection Sunday. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. The Jews didn't kill him. The Romans didn't kill him. The nails couldn't hold him. The cross wasn't it. He gave up his spirit. His love is why he hung there. His love is why he came. His mercy is why we're saved through grace by faith. He gave it freely. The Father gave His Son. The Son gave His life for you and I so that we can have life. Therefore, because it was the preparation day and the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken. Notice who asked. The Jews. They wanted to haste the timing. That their legs might be broken, that they might be taken away. They didn't want Him hanging there as evidence in their face while they're celebrating Passover. Because that's what the Jews like to, or the Romans like to do. They like to do hundreds at a time and they would kill those criminals so that it would be evidence against anybody that would break the laws of Rome. They'd leave them hanging there and you'd see the birds of the air picking at their carcasses for months. They'd leave them there. They didn't care nothing about those bodies. But the Jews want to get him down. They don't want to look at him when they come to celebrate Passover. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and the others who were crucified with him when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead. They did not break his legs, fulfilling Scripture. Not a bone was broken. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. Testimony, because John is standing here. John is watching. we just seen him give his mother to be taken care of uh, to John. And he who has seen has testified. Notice he's testifying of what he's seen. And his testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth so that you may believe. That's why we tell people the truth of the scripture so that they have a chance in their conscience to trust in the scriptures. For these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled. Not one of his bones shall be broken. That's written three times in the Old Testament. 
And again, another scripture says, they shall look on him whom they pierced, Zechariah. God remembers, 12.10. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, are you a secret Christian? For fear of the Jews, he was afraid of losing his place with the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body of Jesus. And Nicodemus, do you come to Jesus by night, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. Then they took the body of Jesus, bound it in strips and linen and spices, and customs of the Jews to bury now, in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb, a virgin tomb, in which no one had been laid yet. So there they laid Jesus because of the Jews' preparation day, for the tomb was nearby. Hmm. So we see Joseph of Arimathea coming out, no longer secret. Because we see the crucifixion. We see Nicodemus no longer by night because of the crucifixion. If we would have read the whole text, you see soldiers saying, surely this was the Son of God. You've seen a, you've seen a, uh, a thief on the cross with him. Changed his mind, changed his heart, said, Lord, remember me, you're a kingdom today. As they watch him give his life freely. As he, as he opened your eyes. Has he made a triumphal entry into your life? Are you allowing him to cleanse your temple? Are you bearing fruit? Are you still questioning his authority over your life? One that would lay down his life for you? He gave it for you? Triumphal entry. Everything that the Father gave him to do, he did. Behold, it is written in the volume of the book, I have come to do thy will, O God. Triumph. That's triumphal. And everything that he did, he did by the Spirit of God. He was full of the Spirit without measure. And as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. Father, thank you for the triumphal entry of your son Jesus. Thank you for his death, burial, and resurrection. May it not be covered up by man's wisdom, man's lies, man's deceptions. May we go and be witnesses of your kingdom, of your truth. May we not sit around and ask what is truth. We know your son Jesus is truth. And may we give him full authority to open our eyes, to triumphantly enter our heart, to cleanse our temple and to bear fruit, some 30, some 60, some 100 full. We give you praise today. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord bless you. And that concludes today's message on Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. If you're in the area, we would love to have you as our guest. Harvest Chapel is located at 418 Old State Road 28, Williamsport, Indiana 47993. We meet for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. Our prayer meetings meet Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. 
Our Bible study meets on Friday at 7 p.m. Today's and previous messages are available on CD. If you would like a copy, please call 765-404-7203. We look forward to seeing you again next time on Who Am I? Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear? Because I